0: Matthew 5, verse number 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Today our beatitude, our study goes back into Matthew 5 as we explore authentic Christianity. Specifically these words, blessed, the blessed life, and what Jesus was saying. Pastor Ralph mentioned inside your bulletin, there is a picture. I held my Bible in front of a beautiful bush with a Sea of Galilee behind it, and I took a picture. And where I'm standing, overlooking the Sea of Galilee, geographically speaking, makes the most sense that that very spot, Noah, is where Jesus spoke the words that we just read together. Your Bible is real, it is inerrant, it is infallible, it is holy, it is inspired, and it is the Word of God. There is dirt still on my boots from the very place where Jesus said these words. So take that in this morning as we read and as we study God's Word together. Our last message on authentic Christianity, we talked about purity of heart. And for us to continue, remember we've talked about this being a ladder. The ladder of the Beatitudes, one rung begins and you go to the next rung. We understood that this happened on purpose, that the lowest rung of the ladder of the Beatitudes started at the lowest place where law and grace collide. It's at the poverty, it's at the poor of spirit. We had to start there, but it does not stay there. It continues to build and that's what we're seeing happen. We talked about that pure heart. But we cannot go forward until we review very briefly what it was we extracted, what Jesus was saying here about the pure heart. The pure heart at its core, if it's a pure heart, it can have no hypocrisy. A pure heart has no guile. A pure heart has no hidden motives. The pure heart is marked with transparency and it's an uncompromising desire to please God in all things. It's more than external purity of behavior. Uh, Purity is more than just being clean. Purity is a way of life. Purity is a perspective. Purity is a thought life. The things that no one else can see or hear that's thought of in your head and in your heart. The things that you say about someone that they will never hear you say out loud, but you repeat it to yourself each and every time you see that person. Jesus was going to the core of who we are as people. The thing that we cannot hide from God, but that we might be able to hide from even our family or our spouse. The real essence of who we are. In other words, if we were to be examined in a laboratory and there was a label put on us and it had our ingredients of what makes us who we are. The purity of the product, the purity of the ingredients, what's on the inside, that's what Jesus was concerning himself with. And I'll mention this again in the message, but know this, the Beatitudes are not how to be saved. The Beatitudes are not how to be born into the kingdom of God. The Beatitudes, this sermon that Jesus is preaching on the Mount of Beatitudes in Matthew 5, is what people do, how people act, and how people live who are in the kingdom of God. These are the attributes of those who are in the kingdom and it's a call from Jesus himself which is pretty important if you ask me, that Christians would listen to the call, to the beckoning, to the instruction of Jesus himself. I'm a Christian and if I'm a Christian then who must I follow? Oh, I hope I get a better response than that. If I'm a Christian then who is it that I'm following, that I'm wanting to emulate? Jesus. Praise the Lord. I heard Pastor Nathan. Jesus, I want to be like Him. So if He is describing the people that are in His kingdom, that's what's happening here, and I'm following Jesus and I want to be in His kingdom and be right with God and be right with men, then how important do you think it is that these line after line instructions on what it means to be a Christian, how important do you think it is? It's extremely important. This might even be one of, if not the most consequential sermons that Jesus ever preaches that we have record of as Jesus speaks as his mouth opens and as words come out of his mouth he is literally changing redemptive history forever he's changing the whole ball game with his words He's not breaking the law or dissolving the law. Rather, Jesus is uplifting the law, perfecting the law, and within his kingdom, establishing the perfect law of liberty for those that live within his kingdom. This is good stuff. If this is a biscuit, it has butter or it has gravy of home pop, that biscuit. This is good material. You must embrace this as authentic Christianity. It does not matter what the really good speaker on YouTube says if it does not match what you find in Matthew chapter 5. It does not matter what you find on Instagram that really speaks to you and that you like and that you embrace if it does not match up to what's found in Matthew chapter 5 as it pertains to what Christianity is. Authentic Christianity demands to be defined by the Bible. That's why we are more than just Christians. We are Christians, but we are also Bible believers and Bible doers and Bible carry outers. We believe the scripture to be the definition of what a Christian is. So we've been on this journey, and now we're on the 21st message of authentic Christianity. 21 opportunities for the Bible to describe what Christianity is. And now we've been in these blessed lives. We've seen the Beatitudes. We've taken them apart. But I submit to you personally that I believe that the next Beatitude that we just read... If we really take into context what Jesus was saying, Macarios are the peacemakers. Happy, satisfied, inwardly satisfied are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. I believe with all of my heart this might be the most difficult of the Beatitudes to live out practically in everyday life. And if you're going to live a life that pleases Christ, you must do your best. You are called to do your best to live as He lived. Be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. It's part of the life of being a Christian. But the only way that we can be truly pure, we ended that message, and this will end our review of The Blessed Life. We ended that with saying this. The only way to really be pure in heart is to have a relationship with Jesus Christ... You cannot purify yourself in your own understanding or humanity itself. You can't volunteer enough hours. You can't do enough good deeds. There's no words or motto or mantra that you can memorize and and enact upon your own life and find some sort of zen with earth and that be the justification that you need to find purity. The only pure heart that you will ever be able to find, if it's a truly pure heart, is the new heart regenerated at salvation in an authentic relationship with Jesus. That's the essence of a pure heart. It removes me from the equation. The dead man dies and the new man lives. That's how you get a pure heart. Psalm 51.10, we read that verse. Create in me a clean heart. What is the next two words of that verse? O oh God... In other words, I can't do it on my own. There's nothing within my power. There's nothing within the denomination of the Baptist or uh, heritage or love. All those things are wonderful and I embrace those things. But at the end of the day, it's God that has to do the work in my heart. It's God that gives me a regenerated heart, a regenerated spirit who creates the new man. And then the last part of that verse says that they will see God, those that are pure in heart. And I want to see God. I want to see him move. I want to see him save people. And so we build from here into being a peacemaker. Now, for you to be a peacemaker and for you to truly embrace what Jesus was teaching and preaching here, you have to understand that if you at some point along the ladder of the Beatitudes chose not to fully invest yourself in that rung, then you have found yourself in a place where maybe you're holding on by one hand and one foot or just one foot or just one hand. If you're going to get to this point and this place on our ladder of the Beatitudes and make it to the rung that says Peacemaker, then you will have had to submit yourselves to the rungs that are below on this ladder. In other words, you cannot start here. It has to start with poverty of your spirit, that your spiritual man is destitute on its own. And so we go here to peacemaker. For us to understand what peacemaker is, for, un- for us to understand really even the peace that Jesus is talking about, the type of peace that exists in his kingdom, then you must understand that sin is still the problem. Sin is still the The issue, at the end of the day, when I lay my head on the pillow at night, the the biggest problem I have in this world is my sinful nature and my sinful flesh. Sin is still the core of all the problems and it's the core of everything that's juxtaposed against the Beatitudes. Everything that pushes up against it. Everything that crosses a line. Everything that goes contradictory to what the Beatitude says. At the root of all of that pressure and all of that problem is one word and it's sin. Sin is the issue. Sin is the problem. Sin introduced the opposite of peace into this world. Adam and Eve in the garden, they sinned the first sin. The moment that they sinned against God, it introduced into our world conflict. It introduced into our world sorrow. It introduced into our world aggression. It introduced into our world wickedness. At that point, everything changed. Sin was the issue then. And sin is the issue now. The first sin brought the conflict in. The second sin, Cain murders Abel. Now, Adam and Eve, they have sinned. And now they're separated from God because of what they've done. And then Cain kills his brother Abel. And now man is separated from man. Do you see at the end of the day what sin does? Sin is the antidote to peace. It cast out peace. And the two cannot exist. The two cannot reside in the same space. You cannot have war and peace at the same time. You either have peace or you have a lull in the battle, but at the end of the day, it's still a battle and a war. But sin is the issue. Sin is the problem. So if I know that sin is the issue, and I know that sin is the problem, then what is the solution to the sin? The only answer each and every time is the name that we've sung about, the name that we've talked about, and that is the mighty, capable name of Jesus Christ. There's messianic titles that are wonderful to describe Jesus and who He is. One of the greatest titles ever given to Jesus is in Isaiah 9-6. It is the Prince of Peace. Peace is who Jesus is. Peace is what Jesus' mission was, to bring peace to the hearts of men and women. Luke 2.14, it talks about on earth peace, goodwill towards men. That's what was sung there in the Judean hills as the shepherds looked over their flock and carried out their duties. Peace has been talked about since the Old Testament, the desire for peace. The Hebrew children wanted peace. David wanted peace. Gideon wanted peace. You keep building through the Old Testament. You get to the New Testament. Jesus is born. And at the end of the day, people in their hearts, they're looking for settled peace. Peace that only God can bring. And when Jesus comes again, the Bible says it will be to beat swords into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks. Isaiah 2.4 And at the end of that verse it says, and to bring in a reign of peace. And in the meantime, those of us who are in the faith, those of us that are, as the Bible says, partakers in the divine nature, we do what we can to point people, to point men and our families and the ones that we love, to point them to who Jesus is and to point to the fact that Jesus is the only solution When it comes to peace. Know this. I think it's very important that Christians in 2022. Even Christians that live in a blessed place like the United States of America. That we understand this. Being a peacemaker. Is not being a pacifist. Use caution. When willing to give up anything, or pay any price for the sake of peace. If you study World War II, I love World War II history. I love it. I wonder where I got that from. If you go to the United Kingdom and you watch everything that unfolded there, the abdication, all that that started even before the war began, you get to a prime minister named Neville Chamberlain. And you watch his tone, his attitude, his posture, and his stance towards the Nazis. His willingness to appease Hitler. He was a pacifist. And when you allow yourself to become a pacifist rather than a peacemaker, you'll pay a price that you have no business paying for the sake of false peace. If Neville Chamberlain would have got his way, the British people would probably to this day be under barbarian rule by German Empire. It's the truth. To give up freedom, to give up happiness, to give up their parliament, and to give up all the things that God had given England for the sake of peace. Number one, that wasn't real peace that he was bidding for. And in your life spiritually, there will be opportunities for you to keep your mouth shut or for you to say a different thing or do a different thing for the sake of keeping the peace when the opposite should be what's happening, where you open your mouth and you stand, as the Bible says, for righteousness sake. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are Points and places in our lives where the Holy Spirit of God will lead us to actually open our mouths rather than keeping our mouths shut for the sake of keeping the peace. Use caution, Christians, when offered the opportunity to be labeled a pacifist rather than a peacemaker. They're two different things. True peace will always be based in principle. True peace will always be found in the righteousness of God in principle. True peace can never, can never exist inside human emotion. Inside human understanding. You'll never find it. True peace only resides within righteous principle. You must include God in your equation if you won't Peace. And genuine peace between man and man can only be achieved when man comes to peace with God. It doesn't matter if you make peace with the president of the United States and the president of Russia. They may be at peace with you, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how many people on this earth look at you as an ally or look at you with a peaceful connotation. At the end of the day, if you do not have peace with God, then you cannot be at real peace with man. That's why there will be no real peace on this earth until the Prince of Peace returns. Jesus is the only solution. So the goal of this peacemaker that Jesus is talking about it's to point others to who he is. It's to implore them to live for him. And when you begin to be at peace with God, then you can get right and have peace with other people. But if you're not right with God, you'll find it difficult to have a good godly relationship with anybody doesn't matter what position they hold within your family. If they're not right with God or if you're not right with God, it will be very difficult for you to experience a real relationship that has peace. The Christian is called from Christ to be a peacemaker. Our plan is to look and to find an opportunity to bring peace to a situation. The United Nations attempts and their folly to have peacekeepers. They can't bring peace. Well, it doesn't matter if there's 35,000 blue helmets with Kalashnikovs, it never brings peace to a region. Rather, it just changes up the daily targets and causes more animosity. That's why you must understand as Christians living in 2022 that if you're going to live in the ebb and the flow of what this world is and not attach yourself to the person of Jesus, your entire world is going to be on a very rocky boat. There will be no real solid peace internally until you know Jesus personally. And our world will never know what that is until Jesus comes. It's the contrast. You don't have to look to the Ukraine to see the absence of peace. Go to the Asheville Citizen Times. Go to the Weaverville Tribune or the Leicester Leader. And there you will find the evidence that there is a world right here that's lacking in peace. The murder rate in Buckham County is atrocious. You don't have to go to the Ukraine to look for the absence of peace. It's right in front of us. And there is strife in our city, and there is strife in our county, because there is strife in our families. And there is strife in our families, because at the end of the day, there is strife in our hearts. Go to Psalm 55 for just a moment. Psalm 55. Go to verse number 9 for the sake of time. Psalm 55 shows us a perfect example of broken relationships. It shows us a perfect example of strife and pain within a relationship. Psalm 55, 9. These are the words of David. Destroy, O Lord, and divide their tongues. For I have seen violence and strife in the city. When David's talking here about violence... When he's talking about strife, he's talking about what he has seen in Jerusalem. The city of God. The city of God's people. Yet, he says, there's violence and there's strife. And it did not come from an invading army. The strife and the violence came within their own hearts. They're turning upon their own selves. They're killing one another. It's all from within. It's an eternal implosion. There's a great school of thought of conservatism that goes back to the 70s and the 80s that says that America will never be overtaken by another nation or another country. Rather, if America ever falls, it will be because of internal implosion. I submit to you that Psalms 55 is exactly where we are. Our whole country is nothing but strife and violence. Go down to verse number 12. Look what David says. For it was not an enemy that reproached me. It wasn't an enemy. Then I could have borne it. If it was an enemy, I could have handled it. Neither was it he that hated me, that did magnify himself against me. Then I would have hid myself from him. But it was thou, a man, mine equal, my guide, my acquaintance. And look what he says in verse number 14. We've been to the temple together. We took sweet counsel together and walked into the house of God in company. This is someone close to David's heart. More than likely, David is describing here the betrayal of Absalom. A painful place in his life and in his heart. It scarred him. It marred him. He was broken hearted. He would have expected what happened to him to come from an enemy. Not this man to whom he had been in the presence of God with. But what David is describing in Psalm 55 is what some of you have experienced in your own relationships In business deals that did not go the way you thought they were supposed to go. In relationships with your parents, with your friends, with your family. The ultimate betrayal of a marriage falling apart because of sin and strife and violence towards one another. That's what David's describing. The ultimate betrayal. Verse 20, he said, He hath put forth his hands against such as be at peace with him. He hath broken his covenant. The words of his mouth were smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. Have you ever looked at somebody in the eye and have a conversation with them, and it feels like it's gone as smooth as butter, as pleasant as oil, as easy going as it gets, and before you get home, the swords are out and they're stabbed in your back? That's what David is describing. That is the existence on this earth without the reign, the physical reign of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Because there is not a man, there is not a woman, there is not a teenager, there is no one who can come to a place of sinless perfection until we're home in heaven. Our charge is to live as clean and holy as possible. But until we get home, and not only would our sanctification be complete, but our glorification finally come. That's living in this world with people. And sometimes it's the one you never thought. And it hurts the worst. Blessed are the peacemakers. Jesus is calling you to be above all of it. And look at the situation and bring peace. Psalm fifty-five, twenty-two. really this is the only solution for that kind of pain. And David gives it to us. Look at what it says. Cast thy burden upon the Lord and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved And some of the pain and some of the issues in your life that come with you everywhere you go, whether it's to work or to school or to church or down the road, no matter where it is, some of that pain your pastor is not going to be able to fix. Some of that grief your Sunday school teacher will never be able to remove and do away with. A lot of this emotional pain and strife and even what could be described as violence of what you have lived in in this life will have to be cast upon Jesus for you to find peace. And some of you are here today and you're looking for peace, but you're on a boat that has lots of holes and all you're doing is treading water. And until you take the pain and the hurt and the strife of what's happened in your life and set it at Jesus' feet and leave it there, you'll never know what peace is. Cast thy burden upon the Lord. Jesus is saying, give it to me and take your rest. And Christians are not only encouraged to, they're not only demanded to be those people that cast, they're invited to. Jesus is saying, it's not a burden for me. Give it to me and quit carrying it around. Reverend Thomas Watson He's a Puritan theologian. I don't agree with everything he said or everything he preached. But I agree with this statement that he made. He said, Satan kindles the fire of contention in men's hearts and then stands and warms himself at the fire. You see, all of this pain and strife and hurt and sorrow, grief and despair, it's the work of Satan. But where to be peacemakers? There are two types of people in this world. Number one, there's peacemakers and there's peacebreakers. And either you are actively pursuing a life that brings peace to wherever you are, or you're actively working against either someone else trying to bring peace, or you're working against God Himself. Who is doing a work in someone's life? Remember this you're not God and you can't see the entire picture. You look at someone and you see a response, you remember what they said or what they did, and all you see is that one red flash in the timeline. You don't see the whole picture. And God is calling you to bring peace. To this. First Corinthians 7:15. At the end of that verse, there's a very quick blurt, but it's powerful. But God hath called us to peace. God is calling us to peace. And if you belong to Jesus Christ, this is your calling. God is calling you to contribute to peace even if you're the most dysfunctional, aggravated, agitated, aggressive family in western North Carolina, if you love Christ, if He's Lord of your life, then you are called to peace. Bring peace to the situation. You can't justify being at war with each other. You can't justify being at each other's throats and just shrugging it off and saying, well, we love each other our own way and, you know, we make it work. Those sound great, but Christ rejects that idea entirely. And He calls you to bring peace. I'll be honest, as a young pastor... to the best of my ability I want to be transparent and it's not to bring attention to myself but to bring glory to God but I struggle on this rung of the ladder my temper reacts I see the situation I got cut off in line and war has begun Noah, I don't even speak German. But I spoke German yesterday. <laughs> but it's the humanity that we're attached to. He said, what about the United States of America? That politician did what? What is our response? War. Aggression. Aggression. If they die tomorrow, it'll be okay. Don't act like that's not you. (laughs) Kill them all. Let God sort them out. (laughs) Yeah. But can I tell you what the Holy Spirit of God did for my heart flying over the Atlantic about 18 hours ago? I'm called to peace. peace. And even in a situation where it doesn't make sense to be peaceful, God has selected me to be the representative of peace on His behalf in every situation I'm involved in. And sometimes our family, what will happen is this, life will build, stress will build, pressure will build, and then the family members, the people that love us the most, that know us the best, they'll become easy targets. I'll allow my emotion, I'll allow my feelings to be more important than them seeing the peace of Christ in my life. And I'll wound up harming or hurting someone that's closest to me. It's just an easy target for misappropriated anger, misappropriated emotion. At the end of the day, the devil is the enemy. Satan's the enemy of your soul, Satan's the enemy of your family, not your husband, not your wife, not your ex-husband, not your ex-wife. Somebody say amen in this building. Not your cousin that borrowed your $2,000 tool set five years ago. The enemy is Satan, the devil. And Christians are called to emulate Christ and bring to the situation peace. Parents, your children, the only hope they have of seeing peace will be at home when they see the peace that mom has and the peace that dad has. And if mama has no peace, daddy has no peace. And if daddy has no peace, then mama has no peace. And if mom and dad don't have peace, then little boy and little girl can have no peace. And if you begin in the parenting scheme, starting to build your children to be who they need to be for God, and at the core, at the foundation, there is no peace in the concrete mix, you're building on wet sand that will cave in every time. Parents are called to be the peacemakers of their home and the examples of Christian peace to their children. Where are they supposed to see peace? At school? Where are they to see peace? Online? Where are they to see peace? On a television set? On an iPad? Is that the source of their peace? Do you project at home to them that, well, the midterms, it will, it'll really bring the country around and things will be better. If your children have heard that more than they have heard that Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith and that God is on the throne and that he's in charge, he's in control, and that we can go to bed tonight with our pillows on our heads, laying down with utter peace that comes from God. If you're missing that opportunity to show peace to your children, then start tonight and ask God to bring peace to your home. If mom and dad display no peace, it's very likely that these children will never understand what peace is. Families who make no investment in peace in their homes are developing generational pessimism. If you have no peace, you have no hope. If there's a pessimistic outlook on everything, then no matter what happens in life, it'll never be good enough. You'll never be able to enjoy the blessings and the bounty of God's grace and mercy in your life. Because if there's no peace, there's no real liberty in the home. I know it's getting quiet. I know it's challenging to our hearts. But aren't you thankful that Jesus preached this in a way that even in 22 that we can understand this practically? We're not here lighting a candle and reciting a chant. We're digging deep into what Jesus would have for each and every one of us today. In Christian life, you can't decide on where to go to dinner what the kids are going to wear. And occasionally, there come an issue, a problem. It happens. It's life. But if every day of your life, all your kids hear is war and problems and issues then this is your opportunity today to say, God, in my home, I want you to bring peace. Amen. You see, that's the good news. It can change. And if you can't take the kids to baseball practice without it being World War III, there's something wrong in your home. You say, that's just how we are. God has called us to peace. Peacemakers are people who bring peace to others because they have it themselves. You have to have it to give it. So how do I have peace? And this is where we'll close. Remember I told you this is a ladder we're climbing the ladder of the beatitudes. Charles Spurgeon coined that 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 last rung is in the dirt where you and I begin our spiritual journey of poverty. Peace in your heart flows from purity in your life. Back up with me, if you would, to verse number 8 of Matthew 5. Let's back up a rung on our ladder. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The next rung that we're preaching today, blessed are the peacemakers... For they shall be called the children of God. You must have purity if you are to have peace. You can't have one without the other. James 3.17 says, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing when he said these in the way that he said them. From a heart of purity flows peace with God. An impure heart will always be divided. Let me say it again. An impure heart will always, every single time, be divided. There cannot be completion and satisfaction and peace if there's impurity. Peace flows from purity. So the more you pursue pursue purity, the more you will discover and enjoy the peace that only God can bring. And the more you give way to impurity in your life, the more you give way to sin in your life, the less peace you'll experience. If God wants you to live today in this world in 2022 the way it is if God is sovereign and He makes no mistakes and He wants you to live today not in 1854 like you think you should have been born but if you accept that God is sovereign in all of His ways and He's got you alive today to be who you're supposed to be to be alive in this time in this place and still embrace what's here in scripture. Here's the good news. He did not bring you this far for you not to be able to enjoy what he has for you. You do not have to live on the outside looking in at what peace looks like. You can embrace what Jesus said in his word and experience it firsthand. It's one thing to read a Google review about Ralph's ribs. It's another thing to go sit on the deck and bless God, eat Ralph's ribs. And if you want to experience peace and stop looking at other people enjoying the peace that's just as much available for you, then you're going to have to come to the end of you and say, I can't do it anymore. I can't handle one more fight at home. I can't handle one more contentious look. I got to get it right. You see this digs deep. It goes to the core of who we are. Really this is where the rubber meets the road. And I told you at the beginning of this sermon in my heart, this is more difficult than even purity itself is being a peacemaker. It's difficult work. But it's necessary in the kingdom of God. The close it says at the end of that verse, blessed are the peacemakers. And read it back to me. What's the rest of that verse? One more time. The children of God. They will be called the children of God. Called the children of God by who? By God. And if you want to best display love and mercy and grace and what Jesus really was to men, then you'll be a peacemaker. You see, peace is attached to the person of God Himself. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. They all exist in this perfect atmosphere with no contention, no strife. That's the Trinity. And at the core of all of it is peace, wonderful peace. And on the cross of Jesus Christ paid the price. As He paid for your sin and my sin, as He became that sin on the cross, He made peace with God on your behalf. The greatest example of peace that was ever offered to man, that's ever been seen in all of time and eternity is the peace offering the peace treaty that was signed in royal red blood on the cross of calvary that signed peace between god and winston the sins have been forgiven they're under the blood and no longer am i am i an enemy of god but it says here i'm a child of god Do you want peace? Do you want there to be peace in your home? You got to have a pure heart. You got to remember that those that thirst and hunger after righteousness will be filled. You got to go back down the ladder. Where on the ladder are you missing a rung? Is your heart impure? Are you feeding yourself the junk of this world? Is there pride in your life? Do you boast in your sin? Where are you? At the end of the day, I want peace in my home and peace in my heart. And I can only find it in the person of Jesus Christ. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Before Miss Amber sings, I want to ask very simple questions that anyone here can understand. If you're here today and you're lost and you're undone and you don't know what it is to experience the peace of salvation, then I want to ask you this question Do you want peace that's only found in the person of Jesus? Maybe you're here and you're not saved, you're not sure you're saved. If you would be man enough woman enough just to raise your hand we're not going to come to you embarrass you but we just want to know how to pray for you would you just slip up your hand no one's looking around no one's watching only me and the pastors I'm not saved I'm not sure I'm saved. pray for me would you just raise your hand anywhere in the building I don't see a single hand raised praise the Lord maybe you're here today and a lot of what was talked about in Psalm 55 spoke to you There's been a betrayal, a hurt. There's no peace in your home. There's no peace in a relationship that's 10, 15, 20 years old. And today you need peace in a situation. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Anyone here in this building today, you say, Pastor, I need peace in a situation. Would you just raise your hand all over the building? Hands, hands, everywhere. Dozens and dozens of hands. Well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to stand in just a moment. Miss Amber's going to sing. And if you raise your hand, I want you to make eye contact with me. Everyone that raised their hand, I want you to look at me. Every, everybody that raised their hand, look at me. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to follow your hand in faith. And I want you to come pray. And I want you to simply ask God to bring the peace that only he can bring. Step out in faith, believing and knowing that God's able to fix situations and problems that you'll never be able to fix in a lifetime. He can do it before lunch. That's who our God is. He's able to bring peace. And we desperately, desperately need the peace in our hearts and in our lives that only He can bring. If you raised your hand, I want you to come in just a moment when we stand and I want you to come pray. Miss Amber, you sing, let's stand all over the building. Every person that's able, please stand. If you raised your hand, you need peace, I want you to come. The pastors are meeting me, the deacons are meeting me in the altar. If you need prayer help, just look up, raise a hand. Everyone that raised their hand, I need peace in my life. Let's come pray together. All those hands that were raised there in the back, meet me right here. Come meet me. Let's pray together. All the hands that were back there, come meet me. Let's pray together. There were dozens of hands there on the back. Come this way. Let's pray together. These uh, front pews are open if you can't kneel. If you need prayer help, someone here will pray with you. I want you to leave here today with some peace in your heart. Give some situations to God. Miss Amber, you sing. Christians, pray. Heavenly Father, God, we come back into your presence, and Lord, we're thankful for who you are and what you are. God, here in this place today, God, all of the issues, all of the pain and the problems of life, God, all the things that rob us of peace and joy, stability in our homes. God, we ask that each and every person here today, Lord, that we would embrace being a peacemaker. God, I pray that you would settle our wild, rebellious hearts. God, that we would submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in our lives. That we would surrender to be who he wants us to be. Lord, thank you that I have the opportunity, the blessing, to be a representative of Jesus to other people. Lord, thank you for my salvation. God, thank you for the grace and the mercy that was bestowed upon me. Lord, I pray for every hand that was raised here today, people who are searching and looking for peace. Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, we ask, God, that you would intervene. Lord, if your plan and your purpose for each life that's here, God, that you would give victory. Lord, that we would embrace these beatitudes as you have laid them out with full abandon of self and desire. Father, that we would cling to the cross of Jesus Christ and what He accomplished there for us. It's in Jesus' name we all prayed together. Amen. I want to share this with you before we close. We were in Warsaw, Poland. We had met a couple of the brothers that had come across the line from a city in the Ukraine. And they were able to meet us there in Warsaw at a hotel. And we'll share that full interview with you. We're still waiting on a couple of those men to cross back into the Ukraine. But I had an opportunity to interview some Christian men that are living in the midst of a war. And I asked the first one, I said, if you could say anything to Vladimir Putin that you wanted to say, what would you say? And I wrote down what he said. His response was I would tell Vladimir Putin that Christ died for him, that he loves him, and that he should turn to him before it's too late. said how could I put my comfort and this war above his soul I felt about that big I asked the second man if you could tell the Russian soldier the Russian tank captain that pointed the tank with the big Z on the front of it at your car that's what happened to him I said, as your life flashed before your eyes what would you say to those Russian soldiers his response you will spend an eternity somewhere Jesus is the only way to see heaven and to know God blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the children of God yeah. above our patriotism Above our desires, above our politics, and above the desires of our flesh, we're called to be sons and daughters of the Most High God. What a challenge and what a charge. I'm asking God this week, Lord, open this verse up in my eyes and in my heart like I've never seen it before. I want to be different this week. I want to change. I want personal revival. Can I I share this with you? I believe with all my heart that if every Christian here, if you're a Christian here, raise your hand. Raise your hand if you're a Christian. If every Christian here today would embrace the Beatitudes, the teachings of Jesus Christ, you know what would happen? We would have heaven-sent downpouring, outpouring of the Holy Spirit of God, and we would have revival. The question is, Are we willing to live as He's instructed?